I was never the type of person who believed in superstitions. Things like walking under a ladder, seeing a black hat, knocking on wood. The only time I did that was when I was at someone's front door. I think a part of me just knew that it was all bogus, so I never gave it a second thought. This, over the years, would influence how I felt about life after death. Not to get too spiritual, but ghosts, they don't exist. At least, I don't think they do. Recently, I've had my perception of ghosts and maybe even otherworldly beings shifted slightly. I'm not sure I'd call myself a believer, but I'm more open to what may be out there. I suppose I'm giving you a lot of backstory with no explanation, so let me tell you what happened last week in Tennessee. An old friend from college messaged me over Twitter. We hadn't talked in about three months, so it was nice to hear from them again. It started off innocently enough with us catching up on each other's lives. I learned they'd still been working late nights at the grocery store in town and had recently been given a week off. They'd lied to get the week off, saying they needed to visit their grandmother in California, but explained to me that they wanted to do something fun and exciting with their time off. They sent me their new cell number. We shared fond memories of college for some time before finally I asked, Okay, so what fun thing did you have in mind? I couldn't help but notice the slight tone of worry and hesitancy in my voice. They didn't seem to pick up on it, or they just ignored it. So you remember that old story of the Bell family? The ones who dealt with that witch back in the 1800s? Now I was actually nervous. Ash was the adventurous type. They wanted to find things out themselves, even if it meant them getting hurt in the process. It happened in college when they wanted to find out if they could climb on top of a hay bale and ended up with a sprained ankle from falling off. I mean, barely? I think I remember one of my professors talking about it in his free time, but that's about it. I didn't take any classes in college that would have included any teachings about supposed paranormal happenings. Far from it. I had become an accountant and worked from home. <laughs> Why? Did you hear something about them? Did they raise from the dead? I loved pushing Ash's buttons. They were very superstitious and believed in just about everything. Honestly, when they finally spoke up again, I thought I heard a little doubt in their voice when they assured me Zombies weren't real. <laughs> no, of course not. Well, at least I hope not. Anyway, there's this little place in Adams I want to go visit. It's the old Bell Witch Cave. I was feeling a growing pit in my stomach, but didn't stop them from explaining. Apparently, they built a replica of the Bell family cabin, and it's open to the public for tours. It's only eight bucks, and I thought it'd be a fun way for us to catch up and spend some time together like we used to. They were right. It had been quite some time since we'd seen each other, and with both of us being single, we had little to no human interaction on any given week. They had their grocery store job, but it was third shift, and I worked from home. Most of my human interaction was done over Zoom calls. It seemed like harmless fun, but it also seemed incredibly boring. This was more of Ash's alley than mine, but having halfway decided I was ready to go, if just to see Ash again, I probed them for more info. Being a history major, they had quite a bit to say. 
As far as we know, the story begins in 1817. The Bell family, John and Betsy, were farmers at the time, and while their lives were fairly normal and boring, that year it all changed. It began with the knocking and scratching that could be heard throughout the whole family's cabin. This wasn't too uncommon back then, I'm sure, but then things began to escalate. The knocks turned into scratches and bangs, which were so loud they'd wake the family from their sleep. For weeks, the family was plagued with these noises until it became something that they just lived with. The knocks no longer woke them up, and the scratches were ignored. But then, things got physical. The women in the family faced the brunt of it at first, with their hair being pulled and scratches appearing all over their bodies. The youngest, Betsy Bell, seemed to be the main target, though. It said she was slapped, pinched, and bruised as if she'd been punched. Some even claimed she'd been stuck with pins and sewing needles. Other members of the family experienced similar torments. Bruises on their legs appeared where they'd said they'd been kicked and their blankets were ripped from their beds in the middle of the night. John Bell tried his best to ignore what was happening, but since it seemed the family was in danger, he looked to a close friend for help. The two pulled some more people together as kind of an investigative team and went to John's cabin to try and make sense of what was taking place. That night, they heard the voice of whatever it was that was taunting them for the past few weeks. They were eventually able to determine the entity they were hearing was Kate Batts, an old neighbor of the Bell family. She'd long since passed away, but before that, the Bell family and Kate had made a deal over slaves, and as the story goes, John felt he was done dirty. That night, with John and all of his friends around him, they heard the spirit speak for the first time. It was then they determined that this could only be the work of a witch. That's where the name Bell Witch comes from. Unfortunately for those in the Bell family and all of those in Robertson County, the supposed witch wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. All over, the Bell witch would make herself known to whomever she could. Those in Robertson reported voices, scratching, and some were even attacked, just like the Bell family. General Andrew Jackson made a visit to the Bell cabin after he caught word of the strange happenings. Allegedly, his carriage wheels were stuck in place, not allowing him to leave until the Bell Witch decided it was time for him to do so. Not long after this visit, John Bell fell incredibly ill. As the story goes, the Bell Witch claimed responsibility for it. While he was laying there in bed, unable to move much at all, the Bell Witch continuously cursed at him, poked and prodded him to make sure he'd never get much sleep. She basically tortured him. And then one night, his moans of pain ceased. He no longer rolled in pain. He no longer cried out. He just lay there, completely senseless and quiet. A small glass bottle had appeared on the nightstand one morning. No one in the family recognized it, and there was a foul-smelling liquid inside. They placed a drop of it on the tongue of their cat, and it almost immediately keeled over. John followed just moments later. But the Bell Witch wasn't done. When John passed away, she was sent to let out a cackle so loud it could be heard everywhere in the house. 
At John's funeral, more laughing and snickering and even singing was heard, no doubt from the Bell Witch. Following John's death, the Bell Witch stuck around, tormenting John's wife, Betty. The witch told her to never marry the man she had feelings for, a man named Joshua Gardner. That said, Betty did end up marrying a man named Richard Powell, a man the Bell Witch seemed to approve of. Not long after this, the witch left the family alone for seven years, promising she'd be back. When she did come, it was only for two weeks. She arrived at the house of John Bell Jr., where she shared predictions of the future, predictions of the Civil War, and what would become known as World War One and Two. Finally, the Bell Witch claimed that she'd be back in 107 years, in 1935, but that year came and went with nothing of note taking place. It seemed that the Bell Witch had finally ended her year-long reign of terror. As Ash said that last bit, I could pick up a little bit of anxiety in their voice. They were quite the storyteller, and I think they'd managed to get under their own skin. Honestly, I'd been pulled in as well. Looking down at my arm, resting on my dining room table, I saw goosebumps had appeared at some point in the story, though I couldn't tell you when. I sat there for a few seconds, the vent in my floor being the only sound I could focus on. Ash was the first to break the silence. Are you still there? I shook my head to regain composure. The story had spooked me a little more than I expected, and said, Yeah, I'm here. That's an insane story, Ash, and you want to go there? For what? Came off a little harsher than I'd intended, and Ash sounded disappointed when they responded. They sighed. I just... I thought it'd be fun for us to go together. I know you're not super into that stuff, and I am, and... If I'm being honest, I just don't want to go by myself. Ash had a certain way of making me do things I didn't want to do. It was either that they were convincing, or I just really wanted to get out of the house. Maybe a mixture of both. Whatever it was, I relented, and before I knew it, Ash was pulling into my driveway. The drive from their house to mine was about an hour, but they made it in 30 minutes. We'd hashed out the details over the phone before they left, eventually deciding they'd stay over for a few days so they wouldn't feel rushed while visiting the cabin. I helped them with their bags and showed them inside. We ate dinner, watched a few episodes of Hell's Kitchen, and by 10pm I had the couch set up for them and I headed off to bed. Sleep didn't come immediately for me. I couldn't help but mull over the details in Ash's story, saying to myself over and over again that there was no way it was real. Ghosts didn't exist, and neither did witches or magic. It was all just some dumb made-up story to sell tickets to an attraction. So why did it get so under my skin? I shook off the feeling enough to nod off around midnight. The next morning, Ash and I were up around 10 o'clock. I made us both breakfast and some coffee while we went over the game plan for the day. So the place opens in about two hours, I said, stirring creamer into my coffee. Couldn't stand the stuff without it. Did you want to get there early? Ash didn't answer. They weren't much of a morning person, so I thought maybe they'd nod it off at the kitchen table. Ash? I said, turning around. 
They weren't asleep, but weren't eating either. They were about two inches away from their phone screen, reading something very closely. I knocked on the table lightly. Hello, Ash? Are you in there? They finally looked up, giving me a look of confusion. Sorry, what's up? What are you looking at that's so interesting? Their face suddenly glowed with excitement. Dude, did you know there's a cave at this place too? They wore a goofy smile the whole time they talked about it. It says on the website, The sinister Bell Witch Cave lies hidden in the side of a bluff on the former property of the faded John Bell family. Located near where the Bell Farm once stood and near the old family cemetery where many of the Bills still rest, it's what has become known as the Bell Witch Cave. The cave has no real connection to the legend of the witch, but it is located on property once owned by the Bell family. Many in Robertson County believe that when the witch departed, she fled to the sanctuary of this cave. Whether the Bell Witch is here or not, the cave is a very haunted place. Looking back up at me, I knew what they were going to say next, and I tried to get ahead of it. No, I'm not going into a cave, Ash. You're already dragging me into this dirty old cabin. Why would I want to go into a cold, dank cave? Ash's smile didn't fade. Well, first of all, the cabin isn't dirty and old. It's a replica, so I imagine it's pretty clean. Secondly, the cave is probably much safer than you think. It wouldn't be open to the public if it wasn't, right? They had a point. I didn't think Tennessee wanted any kind of wrongful death lawsuits on their hands. I molded over in my head, sipping my nearly white coffee. I could feel Ash boring a hole into the side of my head with their hopeful expression. Like a kid waiting to see if their parents had money to go to Disneyland. Fine, whatever, I said, leading Ash into a flurry of fist pumps and squeals that I didn't even think a person could produce. We finished our food and coffee and then left my house around noon. The cabin was actually kind of cute. You'd be hard-pressed to believe the stories of what happened there were true, given its innocent appearance. The whole thing was nothing to write home about. The front had a porch that spanned the whole length of the cabin, and the wall only held a handful of windows. There was a simple tin roof and a chimney on the far left of the cabin. To be honest, compared to the actual cabin it was based on, there were definitely some creative liberties taken, but that didn't really take away from the experience. Especially when we stepped inside. Like any good museum, big or small, there were displays that depict what life was like. In the kitchen, the mannequin of a woman was standing near the table, and by the chimney, a mannequin of who I assumed to be Betty. Finally, in one of the bedrooms, lay a mannequin meant to represent John. I couldn't bring myself to ask, but I assumed the mannequin was there to represent where John had passed away. The most interesting thing we saw, though, were the two things salvaged from the original cabin, an old iron kettle and a stone from the original chimney. I was so caught up in looking at things, I hadn't realized I'd lost Ash. I did a quick scan of the room I was in before making my way to the other ones to see if I could find them. When I finally did, a wave of embarrassment fell over me. Ash had the poor tour guide. A kid, probably college age, just trying to get by, 
cornered and was peppering him with questions about the house. Is it really haunted? Where's the graveyard? What about the cave? Can we go over there? Can I lay in the bed? It was hard to watch. I jogged over to Ash and told him to give that poor kid some space. Ash, seemingly realizing they were being a bit much, backed away, apologizing meekly. I'm sorry, man, Ash said. I just really want to get the most out of this before I have to go back home, and that tour guide had no idea about anything. I sighed. Yeah, I know, Ash. I hated to admit it, but they were right. The tour had been a bit of a bummer. The kids showing everything was obviously bored and reading from a memorized script. And then my brain hatched an idea. You said something about a graveyard, right? Do you know where it is? We both wanted to see something else before leaving for lunch, so I thought it would be a good way to pass the time. And the cave was off-limits in my mind. Ash's face beamed with excitement, and they started running off in some direction away from the cabin. Luckily, I was able to catch up, but barely. Ash had run track in high school, and while they'd gotten slower over the years, they were still a fierce competitor in a foot race. Once I was beside them, Ash slowed down and started walking again. Out of breath, they said, Cemetery should be right over this hill. In all honesty, the cemetery wasn't much to look at either. If it wasn't for the headstones, you'd never even know you were stepping on history. We walked around the cemetery for some time, the mood now noticeably changed, until we came across the grave of Betsy Bell. Her gravestone read, Elizabeth Powell, born in Robertson County, Tennessee. I snapped a quick picture and then Ash kneeled down beside me, letting their hand brush over the stone. Ash whispered, What happened to y'all? As soon as that last word fell from their lips, the temperature around me seemed to as well. It was mid-June, no breeze or clouds in the sky. To say I felt uncomfortable would be an understatement. For some reason, that chill that ran down my spine made me feel unsafe, like I was being covered in a heavy, wet blanket and wouldn't be able to get out. My chest felt heavy, tight, and constricted like being in a bear hug. My breaths were short, and I could feel my throat closing. I was going to... Spencer? Hello? Spencer, are you there? Suddenly, I was aware of what was going on. I was on the ground, sun beaming down on my face, burning my eyes. I felt like I'd been asleep for three days. My body felt heavy, and while I could breathe again, I was struggling. Ash was kneeling over me, calling out. Spencer, you all right, man? I nodded weakly and managed to choke out. What the hell happened? My throat felt like sandpaper. You passed out. Come on, get up. We'll get you some water and sit in the AC so you can cool off. You probably just got a little too hot. I nodded again, and with Ash's help, I managed to get up off the ground. Just then, an older man who looked to be a reenactor called out to us from the top of the hill. Y'all shouldn't be down there. It ain't safe. Yeah, we know, Ash said. We're on our way back up now, and then we're leaving. I was holding myself up at this point, but barely making it up the hill. The whole time, my head was swimming with numerous thoughts. 
Do people get chills before passing out? I wasn't that hot, was I? Maybe I was dehydrated? Who was that man who called out to us? Who was that man? Who was that man? Who... I found myself asking that question over and over again in my head. From what Ash and I had read on the site, there was no mention of reenactments. Maybe it was a new attraction that they were working on. With Ash driving us home, I rested my head on the window, enjoying the chilly air coming from the vent. When we were finally back at my house, the thought of the man was still lingering. I had to ask Ash about it. They knew more about it than I did. Maybe they'd read up on it that morning when they told me about the cabin. Ash, I said, not taking my eyes off the cooking show we'd put on. You saw that guy at the top of the hill, right? Ash looked over from the other side of the sectional. The one who basically told us to get lost? I mean, yeah, I spoke to him. Don't you remember? I didn't take my eyes off the screen, still deep in thought and seriously debating on asking my next question. For some reason, deep inside me, I knew the answer wasn't going to be what I wanted it to be. I was getting that same dreadful feeling I was getting when Ash originally told me the story, like something was... like something was wrong. What did he look like? I said, barely above a whisper. Ash chuckled and threw their arms up. <laughs> like a regular dude, I guess? I don't know, man. Are, are, are you alright? You didn't hit your head when you fell, did you? My heart stopped in my chest. Regular dude was the last thing I wanted to hear. The man I saw was much different. The man I saw was wearing a heavy coat, a vest that seemed to be a little too tight and a tie or an ascot on his neck. His pants seemed heavy as well, like they were made of something tough but warm. Like wool. I, seriously thinking about what I was going to say, I took a deep breath in before looking over at Ash. I want to go back. Ash scrunched their eyebrows together in confusion. Why? That place was a complete letdown, if you ask me. There's something there, Ash. When that man called down to us, I didn't see the same person you did. Still looking confused, Ash said, Well, yeah, you were barely walking when he yelled at us to come back. Your vision was probably just blurry. I wanted to believe them, but I knew what I saw wasn't caused by my passing out. Come to think of it, I don't think that was caused by the heat, but I didn't want to bring that up now as well. I could already tell I was losing Ash, so I had to just lay it out on the table. So I did. I saw John's son, Ash. Saying it aloud made it real and in turn made my mouth go dry. When we'd gotten home, I went to the same site Ash had gone to and found a portrait of John Bell Jr. It was the same man I saw. 
Ash sat quietly for a few moments, their eyes darting around the room as if they were searching for an appropriate response. When they found one, their response was whispered. What do you mean you saw John's son, Spence? I just shook my head, my mouth opening to answer, but I was stuck there, mouth agape. I couldn't find the words. And you want to go back? Ash said. I nodded. Finding my voice again, I said, tonight. I want to go tonight. All of the color drained from Ash's face. They'd always been the one to talk about the scary places and their dark history, but when it came to actually going, especially at night, Ash was terrified, and they weren't afraid to admit it. Ash had even told me earlier that day that the only reason they went to the bell house was because they knew I and a few other attendees would be there. But going at night, nearly 12 in the morning, Ash wasn't having it. Spence, with all due respect, that is a terrible fucking idea. I may be the one who dragged you there today, but that was in the afternoon. It's pitch black outside, dude. It's dangerous, and we'd be trespassing. While what they were saying was true, it went in one ear and out the other. I'd made up my mind. I couldn't explain it, but I needed to go back to that house. It took a little more convincing and the promise that we'd leave if things got too bad, but we were in the car by 12 a.m. The drive back to the bell house was fairly quiet. There were a few moments where I felt like Ash wanted to say something, but they never did. I just kept my eyes focused on the road and the task at hand. I tried not to let my mind drift too much, but I couldn't help myself from seeing John Bell Jr. every time I blinked. He was right there, clear as day. He looked like he just stepped out of a time machine. I could describe his clothes down to the button, and I swear just for a moment, I caught a whiff of his scent. Musty, with a hint of whiskey. The thing that stood out to me the most, though, and the thing that really pulled me back was the expression on his face. He looked worried. Not just generally anxious, but worried about something specific. He was worried for me. For Ash. In that split-second interaction, his eyes left mine and met something behind me. John's face, which was already quite pale, lost two more shades in that moment. That's when I came to and realized I may have been losing my mind. If that was the case, there was only one way to find out. I think that's why I felt so drawn back to that place. I needed answers. Was I actually having a heat stroke, or was there something there? Something that didn't want us there? Lost in my own thoughts, I nearly missed my turn. Ash had to nudge me to get there. Pulling into the bell cabin again was... beyond surreal. I know everything takes on a different look when it's dark outside. Even if it isn't a sinister one, everything just has a different feel once night falls. And the bell cabin was no different. Stepping out of the car, 
The air was thick, not just with humidity, but with the overwhelming sense of dread that had fallen over Ash and I. Even with Ash being the adventurous one, I knew they were nervous. This was confirmed when they looked at me over the top of the car. No more than ten minutes. That should be enough time for you to get rid of whatever feelings you have going on, and then we can get in the car and get the fuck out of here. I just nodded. I had no idea how long I planned on staying here. I just needed to know if what I saw was a trick of the heat. We stepped onto the porch and then into the house. Immediately, it was noticeably cooler. The temperature had to have dropped at least 10 degrees. This was strange, given the fact I'm fairly certain this cabin wasn't insulated, and if it was, it wasn't done well. Using the flash of our phones, Ash and I made our way through various rooms in the cabin. Well, I did. Ash stayed near the front door, claiming they wanted to be a lookout. I'd made it to the bedroom and was standing over the John Bell mannequin when I first felt it. A strong, burning sensation in my throat. It wasn't enough to cause much concern, as it could have been a number of things, but I still took note of it. Feeling increasingly uneasy in that room, I began to leave, but just as I made it to the doorway, a small clink and roll made me stop. I felt the blood in my face run away from me. Slowly, I turned around, trying to see if maybe I'd knocked something over. That's when I saw it. Laying at my feet was a small brown bottle. There was no dust on it, nothing that would indicate it was part of the set pieces, but I could tell it wasn't new. It had that brown-amber color to it, and when I shined the flash through it, I noticed something inside. It was liquid. Thick, viscous, black liquid that moved like molasses down the bottle. I turned it upside down and sideways, trying to get a feel for what it could be. It wasn't until I put the bottle to my nose and inhaled that I realized what I was holding. Pungent doesn't begin to describe the smell. It was like a combination of pure sulfur and dead animal. I nearly vomited on the floor, but restrained myself. And then I heard something else. Something I knew I shouldn't have been hearing. Breathing. It was raspy and wheezy. I tried to focus in on it to make sure it wasn't ash, but once I pinpointed the sound, my face turned from concentration to pure fear. The wheezing was coming from the far side of the room near the bed. I pointed my light over while making my way to the bed. The mannequin of John Hill was still there, just as it had been, but there was something different about it. It took me some time to notice that his chest was rising up and down. The smell that emanated from that bottle was even more pungent now. Going against every instinct in my body, I leaned my ear over the mannequin's mouth, that smell now invading my nostrils. 
I felt the hot breath of another person in my ear. I heard the bed creak just seconds before I felt a hand on my forearm. I didn't run immediately. Something in me knew it was a bad idea. I didn't run until the breathing stopped, only to be followed by the voice of a man saying, She's going to kill your friend. I sprinted from the bedroom into the front room where I'd last seen Ash. Just as I made it there, something grabbed my ankle, causing me to fall, nearly smashing my head on the corner of a table. Luckily, all I felt was a sharp pain through my wrist, and I was able to get back on my feet and find my phone. Ash wasn't near the doorway where they had been, so I frantically pointed the light around the room, catching glimpses of other mannequins until... I saw Ash's feet first. They were inches off the ground, kicking at whatever they could get to. I let the light make its way up until I could see Ash's face. Bathed in the bright LED light, their face looked to be turning blue. I could tell they didn't have much fight left in them, so I did the only thing I could think of. I grabbed them at the waist and yanked them down as hard as I could. The more I pulled, the more and more my throat burned, the more it became hard to breathe. Just as I felt my consciousness leaving me, I gave all I had into one final pull, and Ash and I both came crashing to the unforgiving ground of the cabin. I was barely aware of what was happening at that point. My vision was blurry, my mouth tasted like iron, and I could barely move. Ash was a few feet away from me, taking in gulps of air and trying to regain their footing as they stood up. They started walking over to me to help me up when I saw her. The Bell Witch. I didn't need to see any photos of her for comparison. I knew it was her. Her face was contorted into a wicked grin. Her skin was deathly pale. Her eyes so sunken into her skull that they were merely just black pits. She slowly raised her hands above her head, ready to bring down the brick left from the original cabin down on Ash's head. Mustering the last of my strength, I screamed out, Ash, behind you! Just quick enough for them to get out of the way. The brick came crashing onto the floor, cracking the floorboards beneath it. Ash stood in disbelief for a moment before helping me up again and basically carrying me to the car. I was coughing up blood at this point. Large clots of it came out of my throat like mucus when you have the flu. We made it into the car. Ash slammed the keys in the ignition and we bolted out of there. The last thing I remember was seeing that woman standing in the doorway of the cabin, waving to us, that ungodly smile still plastered to her face. And then I passed out. When I came to, Ash was sitting next to me in the hospital. I was on the bed, and they were in the chair beside me. Not long after, the nurse came in, giving me the usual, we're so glad you're awake, spiel, before checking up on my vitals and telling me that I'd be in for at least a few more days. They hadn't been able to determine what I'd ingested and wanted to make sure it was all out before I left. I understood, but I also didn't. What the hell could have been in that bottle that it wasn't identifiable? 
trying not to dwell on it. I turned to Ash, apologizing profusely. I went on about how we never should have gone, and it was all my fault, but the whole time Ash assured me it was okay. We were both alive, and that's all that mattered. Ash's neck was severely bruised, and my wrist had begun swelling, but other than that, we really seemed to be okay. Given our condition and the way we showed up to the ER, me passed out and Ash with bruises on their neck, the police were called to take statements from us. It was Ash's idea to tell them that we'd been assaulted by some guys outside of a bar. Ash gave them vague descriptions, saying it was dark and we couldn't see much, and they seemed to buy it. I just nodded along and agreed, not really able to give much to the conversation. The following day, the news ran a story about the bell cabin being vandalized. The brick had been thrown through the floor, certain historical artifacts, as they called them, had been damaged, and most disturbing of all, all of the mannequins had been decapitated. They showed photos of the scene, and the heads hadn't simply been taken off. The tops of their torsos were missing as well. Something really did a number on those mannequins, eh? (laughs) One of the news anchors said jokingly. The other anchor just laughed along with them, and they were on to the next story. There hasn't been much more news from the bell cabin since that day, and I don't think there will be. To most people, it's nothing more than a cheap tourist attraction, something fun to do while you're traveling through Tennessee. But Ash and I know. We know there is some very bad blood still lingering in the walls. No, the foundation of that cabin. And it's begging for someone as intrigued as I was to go wandering in again. <laughs>